today coming from the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 8. Again, that's 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 8. And it says thus, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us this very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For this you possess these qualities in increasing measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge in our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearing and the doing of his word. Shoo. I always think it's a good idea to have her read scripture. And then after she does it, I'm like, I don't want to go up there. Gah. Hey, you know, one of our uh, common convictions is that everybody belongs. You know, that's, that's one of our convictions, um, is that everybody belongs. And the church doesn't always get that right. The world definitely doesn't get that right. The world loves to draw lines and have us pick sides, you know. If you read through the Gospels carefully, Jesus loves to just step over all those lines, right, and invite everybody to the table. And that's who we want to be. You know, those kind of spaces don't just happen. Those kind of spaces are, are built intentionally. And that's really what this, this training with Terrence has been about. That's what this workshop is going to be about. We need your help to create those kind of spaces. So I know a lot of you heard that, and you're like, yeah, I'm interested. I want to go to that. But you're going to forget to register. Don't forget to register, right? We need to know who's coming so we can make sure we have enough space. Easiest way to do it is on your way out, stop at the Connect table and just say, hey, help me register for that event. And then you can ask them all sorts of other questions too. You got it? Hey, you know, you know what? Next Sunday is four years in this place. Do you know that? That's next Sunday. Do you know that? Next Sunday, four years in this place, and I'm done with it. Gosh, uh, it was quite the start to the new year, two weeks in a row, technology. Blech. But we're here, spirit shows up, stuff happens, right? Amen? Can I pray for us one more time? And then I'm going to share a word. <sighs> God, more than we need lights and sound and all that kind of stuff, we just need your spirit here. Because when we, when we come open to hear something, to be changed, man, stuff happens. And so do something this morning. There's a whole lot of people in this room I know um, feeling all sorts of things. Probably one of the things a lot of us feel is just sort of stuck. Just stuck. Spinning our wheels on something. And Lord, I'd love for nothing more than at the beginning of this new year as we move into this new sort of series and this time together for you to do new things in us. To help us get unstuck. To help us grow. To help us change, to flourish. And to become more and more of those kind of people that we know, we know we could be. 
So I just pray for that this morning. Give us the, the, the ability to believe that that sort of thing can happen, not to somebody else, but to us. Help us to believe that. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I hate New Year's Eve. Anybody else? I hate it. I hate New Year's Eve. It's taken me a while to admit it, but I admit it. When it comes to Christmas, all about Christmas. Love Christmas, but I am the Grinch of New Year's Eve. And I'm just now admitting that to myself. I don't, I don't hate the idea of New Year's Eve. I actually really like that. I mean, the movies make it look great. I remember being like in my 20s, you know, single in my 20s, thinking every New Year's Eve I was going to meet the one and fall in love. That's what happens in the movies, right? I love the idea of New Year's Eve. I just hate the reality of it because it never happens, right? I, th- I think I'm cursed. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. The plans always fall through. I mean, this past New Year's Eve was a train wreck. We had some plans. You're laughing. You know, that's my wife, by the way. That's why she's laughing. We had some plans. Nothing crazy. Nothing wild, right? But there were plans, and we were looking forward to them. And the last minute, nobody's fault, they fell apart. We couldn't do anything about it. And then eventually, we all fell apart. We sort of took all of our frustration out on each other, right? Disappointment out on each other. I mean, it got bad, y'all. It got bad. I remember one point in time, our kid, one of our kids yelling, we never do anything fun on New Year's Eve. <laughs> and the truth is, same thing happened a year before. And a year before that. I mean, the same exact thing. It got so bad that I had to take what we are now calling a grumpy drive. You ever had to take one of those? You're just so done with everybody in your house. You just got to get out and you got to drive by yourself and cool off. I had to take one of those. Now, we rallied. Yes, I'm a pastor. Back off. We rallied. We turned it around. We made it right. And I got to enjoy my New Year's Eve eating a crock pot full of those little barbecue cocktail wieners. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. It's fantastic. It was great. And I know what some of you are all thinking. You're like, oh, poor Nick, you know. I'm going to make sure to invite you to our thing next year. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm cursed. I'm cursed. Your plans, whatever they are, will fall through, and you'll be the one taking the grumpy drive. You will. But, but like sort of how New Year's Eve tends to go for me is kind of a picture of how, of how the whole year tends to go for a lot of us. Am I right? We got like big ambitions, good intentions, and then it all just falls apart. Right? Right around March, you know? It just sort of falls apart. That new piece of equipment we got for exercise becomes like a clothes hamper. It just collects all of our dirty clothes. I mean, we make all these things, all these intentions, and it just sort of falls apart. We start with all of this motivation. And then somewhere around March, it sort of fizzles out, we throw in the towel. And then if you're anything like me, man, there are these places in my life where I feel stuck. I just feel stuck. There's like changes I've been trying to make for who knows how long. Like there's these places in our lives where we want to see growth, breakthrough, movement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's relationships, your finances, your health, whatever it is. There's this area, for whatever reason, we just can't seem to get it together. Well, today we're starting a brand new series that I hope will tap into that sort of motivation that we naturally feel this time of the year to get it together. Maybe gain some ground on some of these places in our lives where we feel stuck. And we're calling this series, Get It Together. How many times have you heard yourself say that to yourself? (laughs) Just got to get it together. You know, I know for me, I'm feeling that, and I'm talking to a whole lot of people. I, I've noticed this sort of collective sense. I, I believe it or not, I pray about what we're going to be talking about here on Sunday morning, and I've just been feeling a sort of collective sense from a lot of us that, man, it's time to get some stuff together. 
Because right and during 2020, you remember that? Remember that like flaming turd of a year, right? <laughs> like, like so many of us, we developed some really bad habits, didn't we? It was a little bit easier to excuse that like midweek cocktail or three. Like a lot of us started drinking a bit more, right? Eating a bit more, scrolling a bit more. And it was super easy for us to kind of justify some of these bad habits that we were starting during all of that, right? But for a lot of us, those bad habits didn't stop. When the pandemic was over, they've kind of carried on with us. And I've been talking to a lot of folks, man, who are like kind of feeling, all right, enough's enough, right? It's time to get it together. Am I talking to anybody in this room? Well, that's what we're going to be getting into. should be a whole lot of fun up in here on Sunday mornings. But we got to understand is that this potential for change, growth, transformation, it is central to our faith. See, at the heart of the Christian faith, of course, is the good news of God's complete and total forgiveness for all the ways in which we've blown it. That is good news, am I right? I mean, in Jesus, you're forgiven. That's good news. You know what else is good news, though? Change, growth, transformation. Man, I remember when I was a kid, there was like this bumper sticker you used to see all the time on people's cars. It would say, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Do you remember this? And I'll be honest, there's a big part of that that I, I'm like, yeah, you know, I affirm that. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We get it wrong, but, but we are forgiven. I like it, you know, when it sort of pushes back against, like, self-righteousness, but I don't like it when it becomes an excuse. Because a whole lot of Christians, man, it'd be jerks, and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven, right? God's grace is not an excuse to stay the same. It's not an excuse to, to be a jerk and then just ask for forgiveness. Man, at the heart of our, our faith is this truth that, man, because of God's grace and through the power of God's spirit, we can change. We can grow. We can become more and more of the kind of people we long to be, the kind of people God intends for us to be. That's really what this passage is all about that LaToya read for us, the beginning of Second Peter. And we're going to be spending the next eight weeks walking through this passage. I love this passage. Maybe you didn't know this or not, but I actually wrote a book on this passage. You know, I'm bragging right now. I wrote a book, got published and everything by a real-life publisher. Didn't pay for it myself. It happened. It happened. But that book, to me, always felt like a homework assignment. It was like they asked me to do it. It was like a project, you know. And I did it, but I've always wanted to take another crack at it because I feel like there's so much more going on in this text. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks walking through it. At the heart of this passage, if you notice, there's this list of like seven virtues. Right? Did you catch that? List of seven virtues. Goodness. Knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is kind of unpack each of these virtues. I think this is such a beautiful description of the sort of life that is available to us in Jesus. But before we get into the virtues, I want to spend this first week pointing out a sum of assumptions. These assumptions that I think the author seems to make. And we got, we got to sort of catch these assumptions in order to make sure, make sure that our approach to getting it together is on point. You got it? You dig? That's convincing. <laughs> but traditionally, 2 Peter is accredited to the Apostle Peter. Remember him? The hothead disciple who's like constantly sticking his foot in his mouth? Jesus left Peter in charge. Which a whole lot of people probably thought that was a questionable decision on his part. I mean, he's just a bit of a, you know, he's a hot mess. 
But despite all that, Peter did a pretty good job. I mean, he, he led the early church, and the, the first center of Christianity was in this place called Antioch, and Peter was sort of central in starting and growing the church there. And then he went on and he moved to Rome, and he continued to lead the church from there. And this letter, which is the second one in the New Testament that bears his name, is what scholars refer to as a testament. That's the sort of style, literary style of this letter, a testament, as in a last will and testament. It's sort of like a final word from somebody, almost like a deathbed exhortation. Peter's getting older. He knows his time's about to come to an end, and he wants to share a word to the church, right? And at this point in time, the church has grown. It's kind of spread all over the place, and as it's spread and as it's grown, it's kind of gone off the rails in some ways, right? It's sort of lost you know, it's, it's direction. And so one of the things that Peter wants to do in this letter is sort of remind people, kind of call them back to like what it actually means to follow Jesus. And throughout it is this emphasis, hey, don't forget about the kind of life that's available to you, the kind of life you've been called to as a follower of Jesus, and the kind of life you can actually experience as a follower of Jesus. And he opens the passage by saying this, man, hear this, like receive it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. Whew. What an opening. I mean, that's something, right? According to Peter, we have been given everything we need to live a godly life, to live a beautiful life. That word for everything means everything. You've been given everything you need to live a beautiful life. And that our faith, our trust in God's promises allows us to participate in what he calls the divine nature. Think about that. You, you, and to the power of God have been invited to participate in God's very own nature. We're going to get into some of that more next week. That's a hard for a lot of us, especially those of us who've grown up in the church. <laughs> it can be hard for us to actually believe that. But according to Peter, it's true. I think it's safe to say that, man, the author has a great deal of confidence when it comes to the quality of life and the depth of character that's possible for a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Then he goes on to list the seven virtues. But, but I kind of want to hang out in this part of the verse. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. There's some assumptions in this verse that are really important for us to notice before we go forward. In fact, everybody say this. Add to your faith. Say that with me. Ready? Add to your faith. One more time. Add to your faith. Let's take this one piece at a time. The first assumption seems to be something like this. Growth is a given. It's sort of assumed. Growth is sort of assumed. You see, what we've been invited into isn't static. It's something that's meant to grow and continue. Committing to the way of Jesus isn't this one-time decision that we make. It's not like we just come down to the altar, we sort of say this one prayer, we shake a hand, make a transaction, and then we're just sort of done. What's he say? Add to your faith. Add to your faith. And then towards the end of the passage in verse 8, after mentioning the virtues, the author goes on to say this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing 
measure. The point isn't just to have them. The point is to grow in them, to become more and more and more connected to them. Let me just say it like this. Living things grow. Living things grow. I remember reading about this effort to identify a baseline definition of what it means for something to, like, be alive. Like, what distinguishes a living thing from a non-living thing? In this study, I read it forever ago. I've been trying to find it. I can't find it, but I remember it, and it's just, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Just believe me. But, but they collected all these sort of experts in different fields that were associated somehow with life, like biologists or philosophers, uh, you know, religious folks. They collected them all in this room, and they said, okay, we want you to work together to come up with an agreed-upon, most simple definition for what does it mean to be a living thing. Like, what is it that distinguishes a living thing from a non-living thing? Because it turns out not everything in the world is alive. Don't tell my daughter Gigi that. She thinks everything's alive. She names everything. I remember during the pandemic, she drew a face on her, uh, the shade of her lamp and named it, and then would talk to it regularly. We're not worried about her, though. It's fine. <laughs> now, the weird thing was, I remember we got rid of our old hand-me-down couch for another ha- old hand-me-down couch. She apologized to the old couch because, you know, she was felt bad for it. Not everything is alive, though, okay? Not everything is living. Now, according to these experts, what it is that makes something alive is the ability that an organism has to take nutrients in from its surrounding area into itself to change, to grow. Metabolism is basically what they said. What makes something alive is its ability to change, to grow, to become something different. You know what the scariest place for you to end up next year? Where you are right now. When's the last time you changed your mind about something? When's the last time you exposed yourself to something different? You learned something new. When's the last time you said, hey, you know what? I was wrong about that. Man, the older we get, the harder that seems to be. Am I right? And keep in mind, I'm not talking to that person you have in mind. I'm talking to you. To you. When's the last time you changed your mind? When's the last time you made an effort to see it from somebody else's perspective. Living things grow. I mean, think about this on sort of a soul level. You can have breath in your lungs, but that doesn't mean you're alive, does it? And it can be so easy. Man, in the midst of all of the minutia of like the things we got to get done, the responsibilities, the obligations, it's so easy to become like a zombie, sort of the walking dead. You get so caught up in the grind, in the rat race, you don't have time to think about all of this, right? You're just trying to keep up. You're just trying to make it. Or or we grow just so bored and different. We just kind of turn it off and shut it down. But are you alive? Are you living? Are you growing? In fact, I want to be careful with this. And I hope hope you all can extend me some grace. But I I really do want to say this. But I'm trying to be careful. Because hopefully by now you know that I am so glad we've made strides when it comes to sort of the stigma around mental health, right? I've said this numerous times. You could be a person of great faith and have a therapist. I have one. You could be a person of great faith and be on medication. You hear me? Anxiety and depression, they are real. But can I say this? Man, sometimes a lot of what we confuse or we call like clinical depression, 
I think is the fruit of just turning it off. We've just quit. We've stopped trying to grow. I mean, there's no magic pill that is going to make you feel good about giving up on your life. There's not. Jim Carrey once said it like this, I believe depression is legitimate, but I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. Living things grow, y'all. And I know how hard that can be. I know how hard that can be. But man, if we're going to like get anywhere, if we're going to actually have anything that looks like a life, we got to be doing the things that are good for us. Not just sometimes, but on a regular basis. Living things grow. But I want to be quick to point this out. Growth is messy. Can I get an amen on that? Growth is messy. I love that Peter is the one who is talking to us here about all of this. That does something for me. Because don't forget, Peter was a hot mess. I mean, he just was. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, there is this thing that scholars call the Peter pattern. Isn't that fun? Peter pattern. These are scollars, right? You know, they're like laughing about that. It's called the Peter pattern, Peter pattern. It's fun. But there's this sort of thing that happens in the Gospel of Matthew where these events, often they're like really close together if you read through it, where, where Peter has like a really high high. He like does something awesome, and then right after that, he blows it. He has like a really low low. The most famous one that we probably all know about, remember when he gets out of the boat during the storm and he walks on water? right? That's a high high, right? You, you, I consider that a high high. Like Peter's killing it, right? Well, then right after that, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He freaks out because of the waves and he sinks, right? A low, low. This sort of pattern often happens all throughout the gospel of Matthew. He's a hot mess. And I can relate to that. I too am a hot mess of getting it and not getting it at the exact same time. Anybody else? I mean, growth for me has not looked like up and to the left, Growth to me has looked like a big old squiggly mess. And somehow, by the grace of God, I do feel like I am a better version of myself than I was last year. But it is messy, and it is frustrating, and it is difficult. You know, it's, it's like uh, this phrase that sort of helped me out a lot. Because the life of faith isn't a life free from frustration and failure. It's a life lived in the midst of that. Right? And so in, in the world of therapy, they often, like, they call this normalization. Like it can be helpful sometimes just to like embrace that fact. To just sort of embrace the mess of it all and how frustrating. It's, they call that normalization. So for me, there's this phrase that's been really helpful. It's just, of course. <laughs> of course. It's like, oh, Nick, you, uh, you feel like, you know, you're in over your head. You're insecure about all of this, right? You feel like it's just too much. Well, of course you do. You planted a church four years ago and you have no idea what you're doing, right? Of course. I mean, in your early 20s, just graduated, and you have no idea what you want to do with your life, and you constantly feel like you're behind? Of course you do. That's what every 20-year-old feels like. Welcome to the human race. Anybody here just have a baby? New family? Not getting any sleep? You have no idea what to do with it? Of course. You, of course. Like you're taking care of a, a human that doesn't know how to take care of itself. Like, of course you're feeling overwhelmed. Man, you, you, you know, you're in a serious committed relationship, and that's really frustrating? Of course it is. It's two human beings trying to create one. You have to normalize some of this. Because I think what it does is just, it just takes some of the edge off of it. And it makes it feel like not as, le you know, as less unbeatable. 
we got to normalize some of it because growth is messy. It's messy. Which leads me to my next assumption. Next assumption. It's this. Your growth is your growth. Remember that phrase. Add to whose faith? Your faith. Add to whose faith? Your faith. Your growth is your growth. Typically when we're stuck or we're frustrated with something in our lives, we can be really quick to start blaming the people, places, and circumstances around us. Right? Like whenever we're stuck or frustrated about something in our lives, it's sort of a bit of a mess. Think about how often we use phrases like, I just had to. Or he or she made me. I just couldn't help myself. You know, it's like as soon as we mess up or drop the ball, we start looking around for an opportunity to pass the blame. You know, if, if they would have just done, done this or done that, or if things would have just gone a little differently, then I wouldn't be in this mess. But understand something. If we're going to get anywhere during this series, this time together, we've got to start taking responsibility for our lives and understand that our growth is our growth. The blame game, you know what it does is it stunts growth. It gets in the way of it because it takes all of our focus and all of our attention and it puts it out there, doesn't it? And so what we never see is all the things in here we still need God to do. And I want to be really quick to acknowledge that some of us in this room, and I know this on a personal level because you all shared this with me. I know this. Some of us in this room, man, we've been handed a raw deal. You know, we've, we, we've had a lot of things happen to us that were not our fault and that were out of our control. Maybe we've been betrayed, abused, we've been hurt by people that we trusted. That wasn't okay. And it wasn't God's will for your life. It never will be. Hear me when I say that. And I'm sorry. I am so sorry that it happened to you. But I think the most loving thing I can say to you is don't hold on to that. You, you got to work through it. You got to get some people to help you work through it. Maybe I can say it this way the past is certainly not your fault, but the present and the future are your responsibility. And if we're not careful, man, I've seen this happen. We start to wear our woundedness like a coat, right? Or we use it like a crutch. And it just becomes this excuse this excuse for us as to why we can never sort of get it together. And I say it like this, you know, when it comes to getting it together, we've got to understand that our growth is our growth. There are choices that have to be made that only you can make for things to turn it around. We can't control what does or doesn't happen to us or for us, but we can choose how we respond to that. And in my experience, those choices, those choices, more than anything else, are really what would determine the beauty and the quality of our life how we respond, what we choose to do to the things that come our way. Got one more assumption before I let you go home and watch some football. It's going to be a good day of football. Am I right? Go Bills. Any Bills Mafia in here? Bills? All right. Go Bills. It's just me trying to lighten the mood up a little bit here. Failed miserably. One more assumption. And this might seem like a dub. I don't think it is. Getting it together is an expression of our faith. Remember that phrase, add to your what? Faith. Faith. Add to your faith. You can't just skip over this. we got to get this. Because see, for growth, getting it together is an expression of our faith. And the word for faith in the New Testament 
It isn't referring to a bunch of ideas that we agree about or we have opinions on. In the Greek, it's just the word pistis. Got to be careful with that one. But it means something more like trust, surrender. We talked about this during the Creed series. Remember that, that, that faith, where it might be informed by our mind, faith is more a, a practice of the heart. It's about opening ourselves up to something and, and putting our trust in it. So for us, growth, man, growth, change, getting it together, it's an expression of our faith. It's about entrusting ourselves to Jesus. I mean, to everything about Jesus. It's about trusting that, that who Jesus said is God is, is who God really is. It's about trusting that, that how Jesus tells us to live is about how, how we should live. It's about trusting Jesus' vision for the world and, and how things should be and how they eventually are. Like, this is what it means to have faith in Jesus. It's to trust that. It's, it's not to get it all the time up here or understand it, but it's about willing to say, you know what? Yes. Yes. I'm going to live that direction. I'm going to live in that sort of way. This is what it means. I mean, it's important for us when it comes to getting it together because typically when we're feeling stuck, and I'm talking to somebody right now. I know I am. But typically when we feel like we're stuck or we're frustrated with something in our lives, usually what we want is just a fix. Am I right? We just want this thing to get fixed. We just want a way out of the mess. But we really don't have any intention of changing how we're living. We just want the problem to go away. Understand something. Jesus is not interested in that. He doesn't want to offer you just some casual advice that you can like sprinkle on top of your life. Make it taste a little better. He kind of wants to give you a new recipe. To be cheeky. He doesn't want to just make the way things are taste better. He wants to help you change how things are. If you can say it like this. When it comes to how you're feeling stuck, right? How you can't seem to get it together. Jesus doesn't just want to give you a way out of the mess. He wants to introduce you to a new way of life that will eventually result in less messes or meses. I'm not sure what it is, plural. But I mean, get, get really practical here, right? Some of us feel stuck with our finances. Things are tight. And you'd love to have some more margin in your life, some more breathing room, am I right? Guess how you getting it together is going to probably go in that area. A bunch of money is not just going to drop out of the sky. If it does, come talk to me. I know what we can do with it. But it's not. It's going to be about you learning to orient and use your resources in a way that reflects Jesus' values and priorities. If the mess is in your relationships, guess what? You can't keep, keep doing dumb in your relationships and expect it to change. you got to learn how to do it a different way, a Jesus way. Your way is not working. It's not you got to stop doing it that way and learn to do it a new way. To, to put your faith in Jesus is not to go, hey, you know what? I think you're this. Done. No. It's to go, you know what? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to try your way. That's what this means. It's entrusting ourselves to Jesus. You want to see things turn around in your life in those areas. Stop doing it your way. Learn how to do it his. He's pretty good at it. But there's another point I think he needs to make here. Understanding growth as an expression of our trust in Jesus means that growth for us isn't just in any sort of direction. Growth is in the direction of Jesus. Ultimate growth is about becoming like Jesus. What's the last virtue mentioned in that list? Love. Christians, hear me. Church, hear me. 
Growth for us is always in that direction. Do you hear me? Growth for a Christian is always in the direction of love. Self-giving, other-oriented love. If my commitment to Jesus is not leading me to have a bigger insight and making space for other people, right, and living a more sacrificial life, then I'm doing it wrong. If my commitment to Jesus is giving me a, a making me more narrow on the inside and more judgmental and shriveling me up and, and excluding other people from, if that's what, how my following of Jesus is leading me, then I'm going the wrong way. I'm not following Jesus anymore. The direction's always love. But this is super important too because hustle culture, grind culture can hijack a series like this and take us in a totally different direction. Y'all familiar with like hustle culture, grind culture? It says, you know, your value is based on how much you can achieve, how much you can produce, right? How envious people are of you. So, like, what does growth look like? Getting more cheddar. People stay there, still say that? I hope so. Man, you know what growth looks like? Making more money, being more successful, getting a promotion, right? right? You know what growth looks like? It looks like being more desirable and attractive, losing 20 pounds. People think you're sexy, right? Like, that's what growth looks like. Or growth, you know, so for us, when we have, what we have in mind when we think of growth is that. I'm going to lose a few pounds, right, so I look better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that promotion so I can buy more stuff that I don't actually need and other people don't have. Right? I'm going to get to go travel to more places and put pictures up on Instagram so everybody's jealous of me. Like, that's what we tend to think of growth. That's not growth in the direction of Jesus. Growth in the direction of Jesus becomes having, becoming the kind of person who has a depth of character and a sort of presence in the world that makes things better for people. Often, growth in the direction of Jesus rescues us from hustle culture from grind culture because bigger is not always better faster isn't always better sometimes slower is sometimes less is more and so we got to get that out of our head growth isn't always in the direction of grind culture promise i'm wrapping it up right here see growth as an aspect of our faith also means that this isn't all on us we got help. <laughs> we got help. This isn't something we got to figure out by ourselves. This isn't some sort of strength that we got to muster up on our own. It says his divine power has given us every, whose power? His, his divine. There are real resources available to you, y'all. And, you know, we're a safe place for people who aren't so sure about all this. And I've admitted that I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm one of those people, <laughs> But can I tell you the thing that I know, I know is true from experience? Man, every time I've asked for help in terms of resourcing me to become a more loving person, to get my stuff together, can I tell you what? It's been there. The resources have come. Man, God shows up, doesn't always take your problems away, but I'll tell you what, God will do. He'll give you the things you need to walk it out. He'll give you the internal disposition you need to become that sort of person. That is always available to us. And for a lot of us, you want to know why you can't get it together? Because you're not asking for help. You're just trying to do it on your own. But man, one of the things that's offered to us is power. It's real power to grow into these kind of people, to become these kind of people. We got a lot of ground to cover, but this is where we start, right here. And so I'd love for you as you go, just, just to sort of think about this. I don't, I don't know what it is that God needs to say to you, you know, over the next week or so, but, but come back ready to grow. Come back ready to change. Let this sink in. Can I pray for us? Hmm. God, we just stop and we reflect 
on what we've heard. The fact that, that growth is, is a given. To be alive means to grow. And so I pray for anybody in this room who feels like they've just been sort of phoning it in. They've just sort of turned it off. I pray that you reignite that. You re-spark that hunger, that desire, that, that belief that things can grow, that they can change. And Lord, sometimes we even recognize that we don't want to. But we can ask you to help us want to. To do that thing in us that, that turns us back in the direction of the living. And so do that for people in this room. And Lord, the fact that the truth is that the growth is messy. And so I pray for anybody in the room who's being too hard on themselves, too judgmental on themselves. Because, man, the, the sort of spirit of the growth that's invited, uh, that you invite us to is not judgmental or obligation. It's curiosity. It's, it's potential. It's possibility. It's, and so I just pray for anybody in the room who's just who's smothering themselves in obligation and guilt about, about who they aren't. We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And just help us accept that, man, you know, you know what? Doing life well, it's messy. It's frustrating. It's complicated. And that's okay. I pray for those of us in the room who are maybe caught up in the blame game. Help us remember that our growth is our growth. That our wounds are not our fault. That the real things that we're up against are not our fault. But moving forward... And pushing through that is our responsibility. So help us take ownership of that. And Lord, I pray that you keep us from being people who try to do this by ourselves. Make us people who are dependent on you for help. Who ask for help. From you and from your people. And Lord, make our heart's desire to grow in the direction of Jesus. To become people who are more loving, more compassionate more understanding, more generous. Make that what we want more than anything else. We love you so much. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for coming. Don't forget, starting point's happening right after service. Where are we meeting at? That way, over in that room right there. All right, thanks for coming, church. See you next week.